You're listening to The Sermon Podcast from Southside Baptist Church, located in Florence, South Carolina. We now have two services, a classic service at 8.30 and a modern service at 11 o'clock. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. Way man, let's give applause to the Lord. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. He is, he is faithful. Man, y'all are looking good, dressed up. We have our jerseys on. I have my Joe Burrow jersey on here this morning. Now, I, I know you came to church probably not to hear this, but... Um, I don't apologize very much, but I do apologize for our drummer who was wearing his Steelers gear this morning. (laughs) We do love everybody. We really do. But sometimes you have to compromise in life. And um, he's a good guy. He just he's like my brother, who's also a preacher. He, um, you know, they just have some, they have some faults. And uh, anyway, I won't pick on the drummer. You don't pick on the drummers too much. You never know what drummers will do. But, uh, <laughs> hey, as many, as uh, many of you know, SEC fans, and well, let's just say a lot of college football fans, uh, can be uh, a little crazy. They might even like to argue a little bit about their team being the best. And one day, one day, four football fans went rock climbing. A Tennessee fan, a Georgia fan, a South Carolina fan, and an Alabama fan. And they had been arguing all the way up the mountain who was the most diehard fan. And so upon reaching the top of the mountain, the Tennessee fan proclaimed to the other three, This is for the Vols! And threw himself off the mountain. And he fell. He fell to his death. Well, the Georgia fan, not wanting to be outdone, he jumped off as well and said, this is for the dogs. And he barked all the way down to his, <laughs> to his death. The South Carolina fan seeing this and, and the seeing what the Tennessee fan and the Georgia fan had done, uh, yelled, this is for America and pushed the Alabama fan off the cliff. <laughs> Shouting. Roll, tie, roll. Um, Today we're looking at this question. The joke does go with the sermon today. Are you a fan or are you a follower? You know, Jesus, Jesus had turned water into wine. He was performing miracles. People were being healed. He was gathering a lot of fans. Jesus had his followers, no question. He had followers who were following him that, that some would even later betray him. But they were seeing all that Jesus was doing. I mean, he was gaining quick and popularity. You could say if Jesus was, um, he is alive today. But if he had started his ministry today with social media and all that we have today with the internet, you would say that Jesus was going viral and he was gathering many fans, many likes, people who wanted to be around him, who'd want to video him, that would want to be around Jesus. And just as there's fans today who are bandwagon fans, we have some fans who are occasional fans, like, man, the team is doing good. They'll kind of, they'll hop on. They're kind of like bandwagon fans a little bit, but they maybe know a little bit more than a bandwagon fan. Some of you may be like my wife. She's like, you know, go team. And she doesn't know who's who. And that's okay. 
That's okay. And then you have the diehard fan. You have the follower. They know who the incoming freshmen are and their strengths and their weaknesses and, and what they like about their team, what they like about the coach and who the children are of the coach. Like they are all in. And one day there was a fan in Jesus's day by the name of Nicodemus. And you're going to find him in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And we're going to read about Nicodemus and his interaction with Jesus. And this is what we see in verse 1. It said, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, how interesting was that the Bible mentions that it was dark. And we'll come back to, uh, we'll come back to that. It was dark and he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So here's this Pharisee. And if you remember, Jesus was oftentimes dealing with the Pharisees, arguing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees at times wanted to kill him. But this Pharisee, this man named Nicodemus, he knew there was something special about Jesus. He knew he needed to meet with him. And this is, Jesus gets right to the point. He says in verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa, what do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? He's not quite getting what's going on. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. And just as you hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Let's pray together before we continue. Father, as we see this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus, I pray that we'll ask ourselves, are we a fan or a follower? Are we born again? Are we truly a part of the kingdom of God? And is Jesus someone that we are focused completely on? Lord, as you know, in your church and in the kingdom, there are many followers who faithfully serve. But there are some who are just fans. They're not really followers of Jesus. And you've called us to be sold out, to be followers of you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Nicodemus begins his conversation with Jesus, um, making it clear that he does believe Jesus is from God. He's like kind of buttering Jesus up. He is a fan of Jesus, and he wants to know more about who this man Jesus is. He had come to a point of belief, but he wasn't sure. Where do I go from here? And Nicodemus was a smart man. I mean, Nicodemus was a part of a special council called the Sanhedrin, which was 70 local elites plus the high priest. So 71 in total. That's who he was a part of. That's who he hung out with. He was well, well connected. And Nicodemus, Nicodemus, um, I mean, comes to Jesus and he's looking for answers. He's looking for answers. And 
I would imagine that Nicodemus himself had to be a little bit nervous. I mean, I know I would be nervous meeting Jesus, but he's meeting Jesus one-on-one. How interesting. I mean, many people were just trying to touch Jesus, be around Jesus. I mean, they just would storm the whole entire area Jesus was at as he was teaching. And yet Nicodemus, he's getting a one-on-one with him. But notice, he came to Jesus at night. At night, no one would see him. It's not like back then they had street lights. I mean, if the full moon was out, you could see a whole lot more. But man, it would have been dark. It would have been hard to see who was who. You see, at night, he could avoid awkward questions from the religious leaders. And at night, he could spend time with Jesus without anyone knowing. You see, Nicodemus, in his mind, in his mind, he had a lot to give up if people saw him with Jesus. They go, oh, wait a second, Nicodemus, he's now a follower of Jesus? As Nicodemus, I mean, John the Baptist and Jesus, they would argue and go round and round with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees didn't have a great view of Jesus. Nicodemus is there, and he could lose his seat on the Sanhedrin. He could lose his influence. He could lose his power. What about his family? What about his career he had built up, and suddenly he is seen with Jesus? No wonder. No wonder he went to be with Jesus at night. At night. He could quietly make a decision in his heart to believe in Jesus. That way, it wouldn't disrupt anything. That way, he could stay and be comfortable. And man, there are Christians who say they're Christians like that. Like, man, they, they're almost like a, a, a secret Christian. That, yeah, I believe in Jesus. They know some knowledge about the Bible. But man, when they're around the boys, when they're around the fellas, when they're around um, the co-workers, you wouldn't know at all that they even go to church at all. And so it brings a question up. Are you a fan or are you a follower? You see, fans, fans are happy. Fans are happy to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't require any significant changes. Man, I like what Jesus is offering. I want that. But whoa, wait a second. You mean there's something I need to change? There's something I need to pick up my cross and follow Jesus? It means that then I may have to sacrifice some things in my life. There may be some things that I want to hold on to, but the Bible says I shouldn't do. Wait a second. I'm not sure if I can do that. In that case, my friend, you're a fan, not a follower. See, there's no way to follow Jesus without him interfering with your life. He's going to interfere with your life. You know, I remember when I had my first kiddo, Gracie. She's now going to be 18 this year. And I remember my father and my, really both my parents saying, man, when you have that baby, there's going to be a new boss. There's going to be a new boss in town. I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. I'll tell her what to do. You know, we'll have her trained by six months. Like, have it all figured out. I'm just kidding a little bit. But, man, you get a new baby, and there's a new boss in town. And that's just in your physical life, in your family life of starting a family. When you start a spiritual life, when it comes to Jesus, there is a new boss in town, and it's not you. It is the God of the universe who loves you, who cares for you. And I know it's a little bit cliche, but he does have a plan for your life. And we have a great tendency to try to stick to our own plan and maybe even be stubborn at times and really just mess things up. But thankfully... He's full of grace and truth. But I want you to know something. 
Following Jesus will cost you something. Following him will cost you something. It may cost you a friend. It may cost you a job. It may cost you to make some sacrifices in your life, to make some decisions in your family that maybe not everyone even likes, but it will cost you something. Has following Jesus, has following Jesus ever cost you something? See, fans are happy to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't require any significant changes. Or as long as there's no negative implications. There's no way to follow him without him interfering in your life. Following Jesus will cost you something. For Nicodemus, it would have cost him his position. It would have cost him his influence. It would have cost him his, inf- his, um, uh, his co-workers. Those who were around him, it could have cost him money. You see, most of the time, Jesus... Most of us don't mind Jesus making some minor changes in our life. We're okay with some minor changes. See, fans don't mind a little touch-up work. But what Jesus wants to do is to completely renovate. Fans come to Jesus thinking, uh, tune-up. But in reality, you need an overhaul. Fans think a little makeup is fine, but Jesus is thinking makeover. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus wants to interfere with their life. And Jesus gives a statement that really just rocks Nicodemus's world. I mean, it gets his attention. Nicodemus is buttering him up like a fan. Have you ever met someone famous or someone who was an athlete? And you're like, oh man, it's so good to see you. I enjoy watching you play. And, and um, whatever you say to you know, athletes, you're just kind of buttering them up. And Jesus says, that's nice, but I tell you the truth. Unless you were born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. The number one thing that makes Christianity different than the rest of the world's religions is this. And you can study all the different religions, and I have, many of you have. But it's very simple. Christianity is about how God has reached down to mankind and came down to his level in the pit. And has offered hope through his son, Jesus Christ, that anyone who asks for forgiveness of their sins and puts their belief and trust in him and follows him, he will change. All the other world's religions can be summed up this way. It's about how to either become your own God, to reach God, and to try to be good enough for God. In some form or fashion, it's that way of climbing that ladder, of doing your good work so you can be accepted into heaven. Sometimes people ask me if certain sins will send them to hell. I get different ones. Some will say, is it cussing? Is it homosexuality? Is it this? Is it that? Is it that? And what they don't realize is that the Bible is clear is that we all are sinners. And that because we are born sinners, because it's our sin nature, we are bent towards sin. We, compared to a holy God, we don't deserve heaven. In fact, every one of us, everyone, we deserve hell. But God loves us. And that's why Christ came. And he didn't come to just change us into fans. He came to set us up, to clean us up, to change us, and for us to follow him. And so this truth, this truth bomb that Nicodemus hears, he's like, whoa, what do you mean? I don't, I don't get what's going on. I mean, he's thinking he has to be born again in his mother. Like, that's just weird and just gross. That's, that's what he's thinking. And he's a smart man, allegedly. Nicodemus, he has to humble himself. He has to humble himself. 
And Nicodemus made a decision about Jesus, but that's not the same as following him. And Jesus would not accept a relationship with Nicodemus where he simply just believed he wanted Nicodemus to follow. To follow. He wanted Nicodemus to come out of trying to see him during the night to coming to see him and not being ashamed of him during the day. That's what followers do. And so Jesus ends up contrasting between the physical birth and the spiritual birth. And that's what he does in verse 5. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. And he answers it further in verse 6. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So you have the physical birth, and Jesus is like, you got the physical birth down, Nicodemus? But there is a spiritual birth. It is something that God does. It is something that, that is special. Something you can't quite completely explain. I mean, how can you explain that someone goes from um, being a person who is sinful, bent towards sin, addicted to whatever, and God saves them, changes them, and makes them a new person? That's what he does. We've heard it said before that a tiger can't change its stripes. In fact, did you know if you were to shave a tiger's hair off, even its skin has the same stripes does in our mind people can't change but that is a lie and that is a lie that comes from our enemy satan you on your own cannot change you cannot read enough self-help books to help you get right and what will change you is this is putting your faith and trust in Christ and letting the Holy Spirit who is God change you, save you and denying yourself and going, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow his word and I'm going to follow him. I'm not just going to be just a fan and just wear the T-shirt that I love Jesus or love my church, which those are nice and neat and cool. But at the end of the day, I'm going to follow him. And just because you're a follower doesn't make you perfect. No, we all stumble. We all trip. But what does a follower do? A follower gets back up and continues to follow a follower when they sin they confess their sin to the lord and get it right with him a fan just lays down and stays down until someone comes up and tries to pick him up a fan doesn't have much interest of getting back up and having a devotional life or praying or spending time with the lord during the week notice what he as he continues on verse 9 Nicodemus is like, how are these things possible? And Jesus replied, now imagine this one-on-one with Jesus. And you think you're pretty smart. Like Nicodemus, as a kid, memorized the first five books of the Bible. Also called the Pentateuch. If you don't think that's a lot, go back and check it out. I mean, it's a lot. He, he was no dummy. He had memorized it. He had it down. He memorized the Ten I mean, he had it all memorized. And Jesus Jesus says to them, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things? Imagine being Nicodemus going, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that out loud. But Jesus knows what you're saying inside anyway. So either way, he 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 was in a tough spot. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, when I, when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. And returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. 
And notice this. He ends up going into a story. I'm just going to mention briefly. And as Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, if you're here this morning and you're watching or you're new and you re- we, re- we just read that, you're going, that sounds weird. You know what? You're right. It sounds a little weird, yet you're telling me there was a time back when Moses, many, many years ago, thousands of years before Jesus, that because of their disobedience, because of their arrogance, because of their attitude towards the things of God, God was like, I've had enough. And there was a plague of snakes. A plague of snakes. And they were venomous snakes. And they were biting people. And people were dying. Now, you know, God had to be pretty angry because some of the things they were doing and they were worshiping were just so, so wrong and so, so just let's say it, evil, that God had enough. And venomous snakes roaming around, biting people. I don't know about you, but that gets my attention right there. And Moses is like, God, you're not going to kill all of them, are you? Like, what are we going to do? I want you to take a pole. I want you to take a snake, a bronze snake. So, man, Moses made that, put it on a stick, and simply told them, if you're bitten, you look at that bronze snake. And there was a an analogy, a typology of the future Messiah who would come, that we would look up to the Messiah who would save us because we are bitten by the, the poison of sin and we need help. We need a savior. You and I aren't good enough to get into heaven on our own. We, man, we make it. Why is the world in such a mess? It, some will say, man, the politics this or politics that or the economy this and the economy that. And I'm not saying those things don't matter. But man, if you think those things are going to fix our world, don't hold your breath. Jesus is the answer. He is the answer for us. And so what's so interesting is when you look on an ambulance and you see that stick and you see that snake that's wrapped around that pole, guess where that comes from? That is a Bible symbol from the story of Moses. Of look and live because many of the hospitals the nonprofit hospitals which tend to be the larger ones the ones that have money most of those were started in america guess by who churches they're started by churches most of your food pantries churches there's so many other things we could go into about churches and what they've started and what they do and what they spend their money on. Some can be negative, I get it, but there's so much positive. The positive greatly outweighs the negative. And I want you to know that no matter how impure your life is right now, and you may be right now and you walked in, you're like, man, I'm glad the roof hasn't, hasn't fell on my head. You just think God's ready to smite you. I, I just want you to know whether someone invited you or you saw our ad on social media and you came this morning, there's a reason you saw that. There's a reason you felt prompted to come this morning. And I don't know how messed up you are. And maybe myself, there's probably things I can't even help you out with. But I do know this, God can. And I know the Lord can clean you up. I know he can give you a fresh start. And you can have your sins washed away. You can receive a new heart uh, for God today and have his spirit within you to help you, to lead you, and to guide you. See, Jesus, Jesus is looking for followers. And he's not. 
He never was interested in having fans. You know, in your relationship, I remember back when my wife and I started dating, there comes a point in time in every relationship where you have what we call the DTR. Define the relationship. Now, if you're on a first date, man, I'm going to give you some tips. And ladies, too. Vice versa. If you're on a first date and they go and they want to have the DTR um, a conversation, it might be a good time to, um, uh, to run. That's not when you're just figuring things out. Now, I'm not saying it's the third date or fifth date or tenth date. I mean, it's probably not the tenth date. Like, there comes a point in time, like, you either need to decide to date this person or not date the, this person. But DTR, you're going to define the relationship. Are you going to be boyfriend, girlfriend? Where is this going? And if you date long enough, there comes a time where you're going to have to go, okay, are we going to take this to the next level? Are we going to get engaged? Are we going to get married? Is this someone you want to spend the rest of your life with? And if you're dating just to date, just to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, I'll give you another tip, all right? I know you're not asking for it, but I'm just going to give it anyway because that's what preachers do. I can't help it. But you're dating them just to date somebody because you have to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, but this is not someone you would marry. Dump them. (laughs) Don't waste your time. Time is too precious. And in being serious, the emotional, even though it's a hard conversation, the emotional part, the spiritual part of that relationship is it's just going to get worse. So move on. You don't have to be mean about it. You know, it's like, hey, moving on. Don't do it through texting. I know many do today. Like, do a face-to-face. And um, if, if, you know, if he's real annoying, then I guess just texting. But, uh, I don't, but it's better just, you know, we call the guy. Just don't ghost him, all right? Ladies, this is not in my sermon notes. Men just like facts sometimes. And if you're done, just say, done with you. He'll go, okay. And more than likely, move on. If he doesn't, well, you have a stalker, okay? And that's a different issue. <laughs> but a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. That's what a fan is, the definition of a fan. And when it comes to defining their relationship with you and Jesus, he's not interested in having you as a follower. A fan. He wants you as a follower. He wants you committed and focused on following him. And my concern is that many churches here in America have gone from being sanctuaries to being stadiums. To being places of entertainment versus a place of I just want to worship. And I'm, I'm coming expecting to hear from the Lord and his word. And, man, I love different types of music, different types of worship music, and, and, and hearing God's word opened. And, and um, I, I don't think church should be boring at all. I think it should be a place that we come and that we can laugh, we can cry, and we're challenged spiritually and um, in our lives and how to follow Jesus. But the biggest threat to the church today are fans who call themselves Christians, and in no way in their life are they following Jesus. The world looks at that and they laugh. They go, why? <laughs> why would I want to be a Christian? You're no different than me. And we're called, we're called to be different. He's called us to be different. So how can we make sure 
What are some questions we can ask real quick to determine whether we are a fan or a follower to kind of help us out? Because sometimes we're not always very um, honest with ourselves. So how, how can we diagnose this? First is have you made a decision or a commitment? See, there's a difference. Now, there shouldn't be, but there is a difference. It, meaning that you made a decision to believe in Jesus without making a commitment to follow Jesus. Here's the thing. The gospel makes no distinction. You either are completely in or you're completely out spiritually and biblically. And so the, sometimes in this idea we've had in some of our churches what we call easy believerism. That some have prayed a prayer. And listen, I'm all for praying a prayer. I'm all for whether you're raising your hand in a service and you accepted Christ and you prayed. I'm, that's, that's some good stuff. But some have in their mind that I'm just going to pray this prayer. I'm going to have a belief in Jesus. And that's all I need to do. I have my certificate, my fire insurance, so to speak. And that's it. But that's not how Jesus works. That's not how God works. No, no. When your belief means you're willing to follow, not just be a fan. He wants all of you. And we tend to define belief as acceptance of something real or true. You believe in Jesus, you believe he's real, and you may think to your mind, well, that's good enough. And God's like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. We need to define the relationship. And he has in his word that he's looking for followers and he's looking for you to follow him. A decision a decision must be made. We must make it every single day. In Scripture, Jesus said, believe in me five times. But you know how many times Jesus said, follow me? 25 times. I'm not saying that following is more important than believing. But what I'm saying is that the two are firmly connected. Like a wing, wings on a bird, he needs both to fly. And belief and follow are connected. Luke 14 tells us this. One day when Jesus had a crowd, man, he had a crowd following him. People, everybody wanted a part of Jesus. And this is what he said to them. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, if you, know, if you want to be my follower, you must do this. By comparison, hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. And there are so many people, they have not counted the cost. They don't realize what they're really getting into. I'm here to tell you, there's things you have to give up. But man, what you will gain by following Christ outweighs anything this world could ever offer you. And he loves you. At the end of the day, all the money you have, all the clothes you have, all the items you have, you will die and it'll go to somebody else and you will go to either a place called heaven or a place called hell. And God loves you so much. He let his own son die for us on the cross. So you and I could experience, we could have eternal life. So in diagnosing this problem, here's another question. What do you get excited about? What do you get excited about? Is church a place of just drudgery? They're like, oh, I gotta go again because I'm expected to be there. Man, you gotta get your heart, your heart right with the Lord. Now, I've heard this said my entire life, right? Church kid here, born and raised. 
every now and then, usually around Super Bowl season, the pastor would say, I wish some of you would get just as excited as uh, you get about watching a football game. Can I just say, I hate that statement. Because let's just be honest. I'll be honest, as a pastor here in South Carolina, if the South Carolina Gamecock fans acted in church the same way that they do at a game, I would always think my sermons are horrible. All right? (laughs) That felt like a jab, preacher. I love you. It was. (laughs) Listen, there's things we get excited about in life, from sports to relationships, and that's wonderful, and we should. But we also should have a passion for the things of God. And some of you may raise your hands in worship. That's awesome. Some of you just love singing. Some of you, man, you come ready to hear from the Lord. And during the week, here's the thing. During the week, are you spending time with the Lord? As a follower of God, you spend time with those who you love. And if we truly love Jesus and we're following him, we'll spend time with him. Here's the third question. Do you know about Jesus or do you really know him? You see, man, as Christians, we can easily focus on what we know in the Bible, and that's good. Knowledge is good, but if we only focus on knowledge and not have a relationship with him, we're missing the point, and we can easily become legalistic. Nicodemus knew the Old Testament. Like I said, memorize the first five books of the Bible. He had things memorized, but yet he knew he was missing so much more. Here's the fourth one. When you hurt, where do you find comfort? Where do you find comfort? When you experience pain in this life, where do you turn? Maybe it's to a parent or spouse. Those are gifts from God, amen? Maybe you run to the refrigerator. There's a reason they call it comfort food, right? I mean, there's times like we love comfort food. And this can have their time and can have their place. But all those things have the potential to compete with Jesus for our devotion and our affection. Well, I said some things jokingly. Some turn to alcohol when they hurt. Some turn to drugs. Some really do overeat in a massive way. Some turn to pornography. They turn to other, they chase, they're trying to fill that void in their life. And it just brings more despair and dread in their life. So the question is, man, the question is, the things in which we find comfort in, are they taking the place of Jesus? He's waiting, we have a high priest, we have a We have a Lord that knows our hurts. He knows our temptations. And he's there for you. He's there for me. And so when suffering comes, when difficulty comes, where do we run? Now you may be wondering, I'm going to end with this. What happened to Nicodemus? The Bible actually gives us a little glimpse. There's some things that we know about Nicodemus. Nicodemus... At the end of John's gospel in John 19, we're not going to turn there. I'm going to just let you know. Jesus had been crucified. His body was being prepped. It was being taken down on the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea came and said, I'll take Jesus and got permission from Pontius from, uh, from Pilate, I believe. As they took Jesus' body down, another man was there. His name was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea wrapped the body of Jesus in with a 75 pounds of spices. And if that sounds expensive, it's because it is. And it was. Nicodemus was there to put Jesus in the tomb. While many of the disciples had left Jesus, they abandoned Jesus, went back to their old jobs. 
There was Nicodemus. And I believe what echoed in the mind of Nicodemus was the rest of the passage we haven't read yet. And in verse 16, this is what it reads. As he's looking Nicodemus in the eyes, it's just him and Nicodemus, Jesus and Nicodemus. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God sent his son into the world not to judge the world or condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they are doing and what God wants. Nicodemus went from going to Jesus at night to being clearly seen during the day, showing He no longer was a fan. He was a follower. And according to Christian tradition, in the first century, Nicodemus was martyred for following Christ. So let me ask you, if today was your last day on earth, and only God knows our death date, would God let you into heaven? And maybe your answer is, I hope so. The Bible says you can know. This is what you can do here in a moment. We're going to pray. Also did something else. We have t-shirts. We have shorts. And we have towels. For anyone. Anyone who wants to get baptized this morning. Getting baptized will not make you saved. It just shows publicly that you have put your belief and trust in Jesus Christ. So preacher, how can I be saved? I want to know Jesus. I want to make sure I can go to heaven. Count the cost first. Are you sure you want to do this? Because it's no longer about you. It's about him. It's no longer about your wants. It's about his wants. And your life will never be the same. And what you give up won't compare to anything to what you will gain. So let's be in an attitude of prayer at this time with our eyes closed. This morning, those who are watching, who are here, I want to receive Christ this morning. I want to, put, I want to become a follower of Him. Will you pray with me? Pray, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you, to come into my life, to save me, to cleanse me, to make me new. With no one looking around and people in an attitude of prayer, if you prayed that for the first time and you want to give your life to Christ, and you've prayed that, and you have, will you raise your hand high in the air? Just as Nicodemus was willing to come out 
during the day, will you show your hand? I'm not going to come down to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Will you raise your hand high in the air? I'm receiving Christ as my Savior this morning. I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. Is that you? I'm a little nervous, preacher. I don't know. It's okay. Nicodemus was nervous as well. He was nervous as well. We show boldly that Christ has now saved you. Say, preacher, I know Christ as my Savior, but I've never been baptized. And I've put it off, and I've put it off. Maybe you're here every Sunday. It's time for you to be obedient to the Lord's command in that area of your life. Let's get baptized today. We have everything prepped. The water's ready. The water's warm. I have two deacons over here to my right that will take you and show you where to go. Say, Pastor Lucas, that's me. We raise your hand. Say, Pastor, it's time for me to get baptized. It's time for me to completely be a follower, not just a fan of Jesus. I want to live in obedience to him. Give you a moment. So Pastor Lucas, I I know Christ, but to be frank, I'm really even more of a fan than a follower of him. Been living and doing things my own way in my own life. It's time that I repent of that. It's time for me to completely follow the Lord. So preacher, pray for me. This is something I'm struggling with. This is something I'm going to make right today. Just show your hand to the Lord. See that hand. Anyone else? Say, hey, that's me here this morning. God, we love you. We praise you. We're thankful for who you are, for your goodness, and for your grace. That you're patient with us. You're helpful. And in times in which we make a mess, you're there to pick us up. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.